0: Well, good morning and welcome to the jar. Uh, My name is Chris, and we're so glad that you're here today. And if you're visiting with us uh, for the first time, we want to give a special uh, welcome to you. And I would love to connect and meet with you, so feel free to come up uh, after the celebration and uh, say hi. Now, we have been in a series called Pursuing Spiritual Excellence. Throughout this whole summer, we have been looking at the book of Daniel which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And we've been looking at how to pursue spiritual excellence in our own life uh, through the lens of Daniel. And last week, we talked about one of the key characters in the book named uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And we learned that he battled with an issue of pride. And for those of you who weren't here uh, last week, um, one of the things that we learned was that pride kills uh, community and and love. That pride is anti-community and anti-love. And we also learn that God, though, in His grace, is the humblest being on earth. And we learned that the key to this relationship with God is to be fully dependent upon Him. And uh, if you remember last week... I gave you guys some homework assignments, and now they're due, okay? Last week, I gave you a couple things. The first one was that I asked you to find a Daniel in your life, somebody who would speak into you the blind spots of pride that were in your life. And so I just want to ask you uh, today, how'd that go? Did it go well? Are you today sitting there going, my humility has grown so much, and you want to raise your hand to let everyone know how humble you've become this week. That would be a prideful thing to do, right? Um, And we don't want to do that. I mean, uh, do you wish that other people around you could be as humble as you are? You know, But if you haven't done that, and some of you probably haven't, find a person that you trust and ask them. Could you please tell me some of the blind spots of pride that are in my life? Now, the second thing that I asked was to allow God to interrupt your life this last week. That as you're going through life, uh, that you would allow God to interrupt you. Maybe that interruption comes through other people and you serve them, but in some way that you allow God to interrupt you. So how did that go this week? Did you open up to see if God interrupted your life? Well, I want to uh, show you the story of one person who allowed his life to be interrupted this week, and uh, we'll look at it on the screens. This
1: past Saturday, I had a crew out doing some work for me, and I uh, had a, uh, to pick up a piece of equipment that had broken and it was ready to be picked up. And so I headed down to the rental place that fixed my equipment, and um, they were, had a few people ahead of me. As I was standing there, uh, I noticed a little Chinese couple uh, that had just come in and must have brought a truck back from someplace, and they were kind of speaking in broken English. And uh, as I was standing there, the lady uh, was kind of looking me over and uh, I got my piece of equipment and I started to head out the door. She grabbed my arm and said, can you give me a ride? okay, this is a Saturday, I'm trying to get back to my shop. Um, but I stopped and I go, okay, I said, where do you want to go? And in broken English, she pointed to her GPS and just kind of pointed to her and go, okay, that's, uh, I know where that is. And I said, uh, okay, I'll do it. And I uh, opened the doors getting ready to go outside of the building and uh, I just told them how uh, of my truck. So by the time I, I walked around They're already going to come see ready to go, and I'm like, okay, wow, we're ready to go. So I started to talk to them as we were driving uh, uh, up up, uh, Madison, and uh, I found out that they just uh, moved here from Buffalo and uh, had no uh, way to get to the rental car place, Uh, so they were kind of desperate, and uh, no one else had uh, offered to help them. And we just chatted a little bit and uh, got to the uh, LMO car rental place. They hopped out and I uh, wished them well. The whole thing boils down to that uh, it, it worked out where, uh, I just felt that it was a way to show God's love. Just kind of been a little lit. I helped, I just thought well, maybe this is a way to come off to a good start.
0: Well, Eric allowed his life to get interrupted uh, this past week. And uh, he didn't tell you this uh, on the screen, but the couple gave him a bottle of wine. So there may be another reason why you would want your life to be interrupted. You know, I don't know. But allow God to interrupt your life, because sometimes in doing that, you grow closer and closer to him. Well, if you allow God to, get, to interrupt your life this week and you have a story, I'd love to hear it. So come up and tell it to me or send me an email this week or a letter, because I'd really like to hear how that happened. Now, we're going to continue on with the character of King Nebuchadnezzar this week. And we're going to do so by continuing to look at his battle with pride. Now, there are two plans that God uses. He may use more than two, but at least two in this story of how God helps us with pride issues. How he helps us to listen to him. And the first plan is this. It's God seeks... To reason with people. God seeks to reason with you. That's plan A. When God's dealing with pride issues in your life, when he's trying to get you to listen to him, he, first of all, seeks to reason with you. Now, in King Nebuchadnezzar's life, his pride got out of control. And God sought to reason with him. In fact, this is the plan that God always prefers. He always prefers to reason with you first. And it's the plan that he hopes has success. That's why he says in the Bible these words, Come now, let us reason together. Come now, let us reason together. I mean, throughout human history, God has said over and over again, Hey, let's reason this out. I'm not a hard God. I'm a God who... Understands reason. Let us reason together. In fact, this is exactly what God does with King Nebuchadnezzar several times during this chapter. Now from last week, if you weren't here, you remember that the king has this bad dream in which his life is going to go from being a powerful person to being a homeless person. And he retells the dream... And in verse 17, he says this, the decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. And so just in case he doesn't get it at that point, when Daniel begins to interpret his dream, he tells him once again, Daniel says this in verse 25, you will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And at this point you think, well, Nebuchadnezzar gets it now. He needs to turn to God. Well, just in case he still isn't sure, Daniel says to him one more time in verse uh, 32, he says this, You will be driven away from the people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. You see, folks, God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know three times that he's crystal clear that you need to turn to me and turn away from your pride. He is very clear in telling him that I have something to teach you. I have a lesson for your life. And in verse 27, at the end of this whole explanation of his dream, Daniel says this, Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed it may be then that your prosperity will continue Nebuchadnezzar's future prosperity is dependent not upon his power and his wealth and his money and his influence but it is dependent upon his heart if his heart is open and receptive to the things of God If he's humble, if he's willing to listen to God, then all of his prosperity will be returned to him. Well, let's just see what happens, though. In verse 28, this is what we learn. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. How do you think his humility is doing there? I mean, he's a he's a growing humble guy, right? Not. You know, this past week began America's religion. Do you know what it is? The NFL, the National Football League. Training camp has started, and on those fields are some of the biggest egos you can ever imagine, okay? For instance, if you would, take a look at the screen, tell me if you know who this person is. Who? T.O., Terrell Owens, the one-man show. You better get your popcorn ready, right? That's T.O., And uh, let's look at another one. Who's this? Chad Johnson. Johnson. Ocho Cinco is what they call him. Because he's number 85. And he had a, on Monday Night Football, you might remember, he had a coat that had Ocho Cinco on it. Got fined $5,000 because of his ego. But I was thinking about it this week. These guys have nothing on a particular quarterback back in the 1960s by the name of Joe Willie Namath. Any of you ever read his autobiography before? You know what it's called? We have one. I can't wait until tomorrow because I get better looking every day. I told Jennifer, honey, I'm going to start one. That's it, you know? Well, this is the kind of ego that King Nebuchadnezzar has. And you know what ego stands for, right? It stands for edging God out. Every time you have an issue with your ego, basically what that means is you are edging God out of your life. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He plants a seed of humility. God does. God plants a seed of humility in King Nebuchadnezzar. And he waits to see if it bears fruit. And do you remember how long God waited? Verse 29, what's it say? How long did he wait? A day? He's God. He could wait that small amount of time. How long? Twelve months. Twelve months. A whole year. God waits for him to turn to the one and true God. He gives him a whole year to listen to him, to change his ways. But every day, King Nebuchadnezzar is like this. I will not bend my knee to God. I want to do what I want, when I want, where I want. I will not do justice as you ask. I will not care for the poor. I will not care for the oppressed. I'll build my gardens, build my wall, build my city. I'll spend my money any way I want. Ego. Nothing but ego. Nebuchadnezzar tries to ignore the dream altogether. He tries to ignore Daniel's advice. He tries to ignore God. I'd just like you to pause a moment and I'd like you to answer this question. Has God planted a seed of humility in your life? Has he said to you in some area of your life, hey, let's come, let's reason together. And have you ignored him? Or are you listening to him? There's a story about a politician who um, his work became his idol. Work had become his God. And his heart began to shrivel up. And one night he called his son and he said, I'm not going to be home tonight, son, to tuck you in. It was the fifth night in a row that he had not... Uh, done bedtime with his son and his son responded well wake me up when you get home and his dad said no he goes it's going to be way too late and the son said this wake me up no matter how late it is I just want to know that you're here I want to know that you're home and this politician writes to this day I can't precisely explain what happened at that moment But suddenly, I knew it was time for me to lose, to leave my job, and I walked away. Friends, God has been speaking to some of you in a quiet conscience, but it's in your head, and you've been ignoring it. Some of you have even had a friend that's come up and said, man, I'm concerned about this area of your life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your kids. Whatever. And you just have walked away, passed away. You've just blown them off. There are some in this gym right now. There's something in your life where you're not letting God have full control over. Maybe it's a pattern of lying. Maybe it's sexual misbehavior. Maybe it's you're on the internet all the time when things you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe it involves living beyond your means and you're fully in debt and you're still buying stuff, but even though you sense God calling you to change some area of your life, you just keep on ignoring Him. Folks, God desires to reason with you. He's very patient and kind and understanding and He will give you so much time to see change come in your life. But let me say this, as patient as he is, he will not be mocked. He will not be ignored. There will become a day when he loves you so much that he wants there to be change in your life. He always hopes that plan A will work. But just in case plan A doesn't work, he'll turn to plan B. And when King Nebuchadnezzar refused to listen to God, he turned to plan B and it was this. God will use pain as a last resort if people don't listen to him. It's not the first plan, and he'll give as much patience as he can. But if he has to, God will use pain as a last resort. Now, I want you to understand this is never God's first choice. He is so patient and kind and loving, he will wait forever. But there will be a point in which he finally says, forever is no longer. And the choice has to be made. And for King Nebuchadnezzar, it came to that point where God knew the only thing that would change him was pain in his life. And it was getting ready to come. If you would, look with me real quick to a scripture verse in Psalm 32. It says this. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. That's plan A. I'll reason with you. But then God goes further by saying this, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. That involves pressure and pain. And even though God says, I don't like to do this, I don't want to do this, if it's the only way that I can get you to really connect with me, to know me more, I will do it. And yet people still refuse to listen to God. Are you listening to God and his reason? Or will he eventually have to love you so much that pain will come so that you turn to him? Well, in our story, what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar ignores God. God says, come, let us reason together. He's like, nope. Not today. Don't want to deal with it. Hand to the face. There you go, God. And God sends King Nebuchadnezzar from his royal palace to live like an animal as a homeless person. God uses pressure and pain to mold and shape King Nebuchadnezzar and his character. Now, I want us this morning to... Realize that what this image that God is talking about with King Nebuchadnezzar is like the image of a potter and clay. That a potter takes clay and he molds it and shapes it so that it becomes what he desires it to be. And I want this to be real visible for us this morning. And so I've asked a real life, uh, real life kind of live potter uh, to come up here. Uh, Rob also Brooks. So as Rob comes up, let's give him a hand. And I think we're going to have a mic for him. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, he's got one. Oh, he's got one. Look at that. Wow. That's good. Well, um, what's going to happen is we're going to read a passage here in Jeremiah 18, which is kind of the... Um, Main passage of this whole image of potter and clay. And what's going to happen is Rob's just going to go ahead and and start making something. So um, let's uh, go ahead and and look at this. Now, what's interesting is that this passage uh, in Jeremiah was written during the same time period of Daniel. So Daniel is very, very clear, and he would have understood what this image of potter and clay is. Because what had happened was, is that... Uh, God had given the people of Israel, his people, a long, long period of time. And for some reason, uh, he just kind of said, you know what? Uh, Finally, enough is enough. And so he put him into exile and uh, he allowed him, uh, the people of Israel, uh, to to be sent off into exile and to be slaves. So let's go ahead and read Jeremiah 18 while... uh, while Rob works. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the will. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. Now, in the Scripture, who's the potter? In the Scripture, who's the potter? God, right? And in the Scripture, who's the clay? The people of Israel, we are. Now, in this situation... uh, the clay is who, us, and Rob is who, God. So, uh, Rob, enjoy this right now. Uh, Rob is an associate pastor at, uh, or associate professor, I'm sorry, of art at uh, Taylor University, and his uh, wife is my administrative assistant. And so, enjoy this moment of being God. And if you want to look at Emily every once in a while to let her know who's boss, you know, just go ahead. Okay. <laughs> This is your moment, dude, all right? Now, some of you may not know this, but uh, I've had a little background in pottery myself. I used to work with (laughs) Play-Doh as a kid. And one of the things with Play-Doh that really is a struggle for me as a kid was I'd have an image of what I wanted it to look like, and you start working with the Play-Doh, and it just doesn't turn out the way that you want it to. And this text talks about that. A potter who has this clay, but it's not turning out the right way. And uh, Rob, I just wondered, uh, you know, is that an experience that people have with pottery that sometimes things just, uh, you know, don't work the way that, that uh, you had hoped? All the time.
2: Um, there's an example of a cup right there that didn't turn out like I planned, but I glazed it anyway. Okay. And it still has a function. It's very frustrating. It
0: can be. So it, it gets very frustrating. That's what it, and what's it feel like when, you know, all of a sudden the clay just starts not doing what you want it to do?
2: I uh, feel completely out of control at times, at least in the beginning. And uh, it's one of those things that really does take a lot of patience and endurance. Um, I would say it's a very humble craft to learn how to do. Uh, but when it's losing control, there's a sense of uh, not being able to stop it. And have to stop and start over and yeah. keep going, but it's all part of the process.
0: So the image of the movie Ghost, where Demi Moore is there, no. is not really the scene, right? <laughs> not so much, huh? Now, what happens, let's say, for instance, what you're working on right now, let's say that it gets out of control a little bit, uh, and, uh, ooh, look, that looks horrible. Um, You're a professor, too, aren't you? And uh, so what happens then when it gets to a point where you can't fix it the way that you want? What do you have to do?
2: You just have to cut it off and start again. Um, Got this cool little tool called the
0: wire tool I just use, and
2: sometimes... Just have to
0: start over. So when it gets to that point where it's totally out of control, you just take it off and you you have to start over. Now, Rob's going to keep on working at the will, and when you get bored of me, which some of you have already got hit that point, don't think I don't realize these things, okay? Uh, you can look at Rob. But every once in a while, just give me a bone. You know? Just kind of look just look this way. Now just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever worked with children in any capacity whatsoever? Raise your hand. If you've ever, okay, all right, all of us for the most part. Now, a good parent, when you think about it, always prefers to plan B, that there would be reason, okay? And a good parent prefers plan A, or plan A, I'm sorry. They always prefer reason, mainly because it's gentler and because the best option for your kids is that they would actually do what you want them to do on their own. That they willingly would choose to do the right thing. That you don't have to pressure them to doing something. Now let me ask you this. Does an appeal to reason work with a three-year-old? No. Okay? Okay. I mean, it's never effective to go to a three-year-old and say, I earnestly appeal to your better nature to stop pulling your sister's hair. This could cause physical and psychological pain and require therapy one day. Please don't do it. And they'll look at you straight in the face at that point and go, No, I like pulling hair, you know? Now, there is a phrase, though, for children whose parents always use Plan A. Reason. You know what those children are called? Only children, okay? Because if you have more than one, reason never works whatsoever. Now, a three-year-old doesn't respond to reason. They just don't. That's why parents have to turn to other things, like the timeout chair to uh, privileges, you know, being taken away, being grounded, tranquilizers, you know, other things, whatever it takes. I mean, truly loving parents know that every once in a while, you have to go to plan B. You have to do that. You have to tell a child they're going to need a little bit of time on the will. And you can see that Rob's, I mean, he's putting pressure on this. You know, it's not this light little thing. He's pressing in on it. And the Bible talks about this dynamic. It says this, My child do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a child. For what child is not disciplined by his father? You see, the discipline, you see the molding, the shaping process, is not what we desire. Not for the clay, not for the potter. You know, I was thinking this week about this whole issue of parenthood, and I saw an article of a quote-unquote expert on parenting and children. And he said, often I'm asked this question, what is the essence of, A parenthood. And he said, this is what I answer. Lowering your standards. Okay? Lowering your standards. The expert said that. Now, I would tell you that's bad advice. Don't do that. Okay? Because molding and shaping a life, disciplining a child is hard work. But you can kind of understand that it does make sense that you would do that. Because it's a lot easier just to say, oh, I'm going to let that slide. Let their character slide. Let bad habits go uncorrected. Let potential go unfulfilled. Just lower your standards. Have you noticed this morning that as Rob's been working at this, as he's forcing himself into that, that he's not been real gentle with the clay? I mean, if the clay had feelings, I have a feeling that uh, the clay would say, ouch, Rob! Why are you pressing so hard? Can't you just lower your standards? Can't you just accept a few flaws? You see, if the pot doesn't matter, if it's just an ashtray made out of Play-Doh, then you really don't care. You can accept any number of flaws. But if it matters, if it's in the hands of a master craftsman, then it's going to take some molding and shaping. And some of us in this room right now, we're on the will ourselves. And it hurts. You're tempted to pray this prayer Oh God, would you just lower your standards? Because this time on the will right now is painful. So wouldn't you just kind of let my character go unchanged? Let some bad habits just continue to happen? Couldn't you just kind of lower your standards? And folks, God loves you too much to lower His standards. He loves you exactly the way you are, but He loves you too much to stay that way. So as the potter, God will mold and shape you, and the question becomes, will you allow yourself to be placed into the hands of the potter? Will you trust Him? Will you pray to Him? Will you say, mold me, shape me, fill me? Use me. Well, Rob's going to keep on working throughout the rest of our time. Let's give Rob a hand, though, for uh, helping us. And let's go back to King Nebuchadnezzar. God tries plan A to reason with him, and he ignores it. So he finds himself headed for the will. He walks on the top of the roof palace and he says, This is the great Babylon. I have built by my might and for my glory. And look at Daniel 31. Daniel chapter 4, verse 31. The words were still on his lips. Those arrogant, prideful words were still on his lips. And now, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to get some real-time humility. He's going to spend some time on the will. The Scripture says this, The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what has been decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, right after his prideful remarks, he's taken away into a place and he eats grass like cattle. His body is drenched. He's driven away from his kingdom. He has feathers of an eagle and nails and claws like a bird. He has become just this savage trying to make it through life. Now just think about this. This is the highest man On earth. The most powerful man, the most dominant, the most uh, mighty man on earth. He's like a god. He's built an amazing kingdom. This city of Babylon, these hanging gardens of Babylon that were one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, and now he finds himself scavenging just to make it. He would not listen to God, so he found himself on the will. Now, the question you might ask is, well, how long was he on the wheel? The scripture says seven times. Now, what does that mean? It could mean seven years he lived in this scavenging form, or it could mean what the Hebrew word means is just just a lot. It's as long as it takes to get him back into a relationship with God. Well, he stays on the wheel for a very long time until finally there is a turning point that comes. It's the same turning point that happens to every single person who finally turns to God. And in verse 32 it says this, At the end of that time I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever." Nebuchadnezzar had been avoiding God his entire life. And finally, something changed. His whole life he had focused on three people. Me, myself, and I. And in that moment, he thought, I'm going to ignore anyone and everyone who doesn't bring me pleasure. But once he starts feeling some pain by being on the wheel... His eyes are just opened up. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar hit the lowest level. He had hit rock bottom. He had nowhere else to turn. You know, sometimes you only know that God is all you need when God is all you have. You only know that God is all you need when God is all you have. And he hit that point. And then he looked up. And when King Nebuchadnezzar turned to heaven... He finally found the hope that he had been looking for his entire life. Today I have no doubt that some of you are on the will. Maybe you've messed up big time in some area of your life, and now you're experiencing the pain of that. Maybe you've damaged another person very badly, and you know it and the consequences of that are finally hitting the fan or maybe you've just been carrying a horrible negative attitude for weeks for months for years and there's all this brokenness in your life and you're on the will maybe you've just been building your own little kingdom In your job, you've been building it, and now all of a sudden, that job's no longer there, and you're trying to put the pieces back together again. Maybe you've been living well beyond your means, and finally it's hitting that the creditor's pain is your pain. You know, for some of us, we're just experiencing pain. We don't even know why we're on the wheel, but we're on the wheel for some reason. And sometimes that's just what happens in life. Sometimes we're on the wheel. Well, friends, let me ask you this morning when you hit rock bottom, look up. Just look up. Raise your eyes toward heaven. Because God loves you. He knows you best. He loves you most. He loves you so much that He chooses not to let you continue to live a certain life. And sometimes what the potter does is he simply teaches us best when we get on the wheel. And the reason he does that is because He wants you to turn to Him more than anyone else or anything else. So, who's going to be the potter of your life? Will it be yourself, like Nebuchadnezzar tried, or will it be God? We're going to stand as a community, so if you could stand, that'd be great. And what I'd like you to do is just to look up and to look to God. And if, you, if you're if you on the wheel right now, why don't you just ask God whatever it is you need and then trust that the potter loves you enough to mold you and shape you
3: and to let you know that you're loved. we just come before you, and I um, just pray that as we sing this song, that you take whatever thing it is that is um, just most pressing on our heart, and,
0: and so you would help us to humble ourselves, to lift our eyes to you.
3: Where does my hell health... I need you. Oh, how I need you, Lord. You are my only hope. You're my only prayer. So the
0: Thinking about this whole image of Potter and clay, and Rob's demonstrated to us in such a really cool way how ordinary clay in the hand of a master potter becomes a work of art. And I guess what I wanted you all to know today when you leave is that you're a work of art in God's hand. He will mold and shape you, sometimes put you on the will. But he does it because of his great love for you. And so as he molds and shapes you, he does it so that you can be the best you. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for uh, helping us to understand you a little bit more this morning. And we declare as individuals and as a community... That you are the potter and we're the clay. And this morning, God, we desire to look up to you because you're the only one who can meet our need. And God, I guess, at least for myself, I'm willing that if you need to put me on the will to make me know you and love you more. I'm willing to do that. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that there would be people in this place that would join me in that. That we would surrender our lives and trust that you'll create something. God, we love you. Help us to show it this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Have a great week and know you're loved in this place. If you like prayer for anything, come on up.
3: Thanks.